0: Did you know that outside of America praising things like family values, homemaking, and good old-fashioned manners could get you written up by major publications like the BBC and The Sun and accused of being a Nazi? think about that for a second. This happened to my guest today. She lives in England and is the author of Ladies Like Us, where she documents how she learned to love her feminine identity and leave feminism in the workforce. Her second book, English Etiquette, was released in the spring of 2019, which is basically a modern field guide to good manners and family life with a time-honored spin. And the way that I found her was through her gorgeous blog called The Darling Again. Academy, which focuses on things like etiquette. Well, in January 2020, she was slammed in the media for being a traditional wife in pretty much every major news publication you can think of. People across Europe couldn't believe that there was a woman that existed who thought submitting to her husband was a good thing, who chose family over having a career. You know, she must have been some kind of white supremacist, they thought. Through that, the apron-clad army was born. Women in Europe and all over the world related to my guest because they were tired of being told that women were only worth anything if they acted like men. In a continuation of our May is for the Mom series, I'm very excited to host housewife, mother, author, etiquette expert, and Brit, Elena Pettit of the Darling Academy on The Spillover. And P.S., speaking of the May is for the Mom series, make sure you listen to this whole episode, because I have an announcement at the end. Elena, you are an etiquette expert. You created the Darling Academy. What is that? And then how do you define the word etiquette? Okay. Well,
1: I've always been interested in etiquette, ever since I was young. It's very strange. I was like a child who, you know, would be interested in the way that you set a table and the way that you treated people. Um, And as I was growing up, I realized, as I was looking more and more into etiquette, I was realizing that everything out there was about social climbing. And I think that there's this really bad misconception about etiquette, about people kind of getting one up on one another, making people feel uncomfortable. And I couldn't find a book that I liked on the subject. So I wrote one myself because actually, I think it's more about how you treat other people. So, um, it's weird. I call it the Darling Academy because I had these grand visions of like opening a school one day, which has yet to come to fruition. But I think that's the crux of it all is etiquette is about how you treat other people and more importantly, how you treat yourself first and foremost about feeling comfortable in any situation because your self-esteem is is quite high, so in a good way. You can have positive self-esteem that can be quite destructive as well.
0: Yeah, in your early teens, in, in 20s even, you didn't really feel like you fit in. Can you talk about the impact that had on you as a young woman?
1: Yes, absolutely. Pop culture really did a number on me, I think, because I just didn't grow up in a time where etiquette and living kind of, I want to say, really loaded word these days, ladylike like lifestyle. Um, I grew up the Spice Girls generation. Britney Spears was just coming through as I was kind of like, Going through puberty and it did not fit whatsoever. But because I was so desperate to fit in, I think most teenage girls are, and even women in their twenties went along with it. And it just, it
0: really didn't feel right. And I, I discovered as I got a little bit older, I was the only one that felt that way. You kind of went through like a quarter life crisis or something that just totally left you shattered emotionally. What did you realize about your life in your early twenties?
1: Yeah, I realized I didn't have any positive role models whatsoever in my, I mean, in my life, but also in the media that guides me, a transi- that transitioned me out of that kind of like sex in the city lifestyle into motherhood and embracing kind of those feminine urges to, um, you know, I mean, not all women have them, but, you know, to be a wife and a mother. Is, I mean, there's still isn't. And that's kind of what I do with The Darling House now is, Advocate and try and wake people up to the fact that there's no positive role models for mothers these particularly in England. A little bit different in America from what I've noticed. Um, but yeah, there is there is nothing to look to whatsoever. Well, and was you positive
0: had- and wholesome. You had this big, fancy career, which is one of the core tenets of second-wave feminism. You know, they, they fought for that. They said every woman should have the right to work. If they get that, they're finally going to find joy and fulfillment. And it didn't really work out for you that way. What do you think was missing from your life as a career woman?
1: Oh, gosh, what was missing? Everything, I think, because my life literally just became about a career. I, I grew up watching sex. I wanted to work in the media, I ended up working in the beauty industry surrounded by, you know, all the glamorous things, even, you know, everything that was popularized by NTV at the time, you know, like Laurie Conrad, working in fashion. And <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, for a career, it was a fun one in terms of the opportunities I had, but it was just so empty and devoid of normal human interaction I found. And a sense of home and a sense of belonging. We just go go, 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 go all the time. Work is fulfilling. Work is fulfilling. I used to commute for an hour a day on the London Underground into central London, doing my work. Majority of it was incredibly stressful and would sit there on the tube on the way home, and people were just zoned out. There yeah. was no social life. People couldn't, you couldn't meet anyone. You couldn't You know, or if you did, it was like heavily, like people were drinking heavily almost to self-medicate just how stressful this amazing career we were all promised was. And I realized there was no work-life balance whatsoever. And um, even when I moved out of London and was still working in the same career, I think just the drive that you are told to have and therefore you almost put on this mask it's destructive it really destroyed me it destroyed my self-esteem and um, I found myself drinking heavily just to cope with it really and something I had to give and for me it was my entire career
0: had you met your husband at that point or not yet
1: yeah I had thankfully I mean I dated quite a few guys who um didn't show any promise of being able to look after me if I gave up my career um and actually, I went on British television on quite a popular TV show, uh, Breakfast News, and they were like, your husband wrote your resignation letter for you, didn't he? Trying what? to make him sound really controlling, like he was you know, trying to get me home to make his sandwiches or something. But he did it out of love, he saw how destroyed I was by this idea that I had to have this
0: career. Wait, so your husband writes your resignation letter... People in England thought that he was doing that because he was basically like holding you hostage and being like, my <laughs> woman can't work, which wasn't the case. What did the resignation letter say that he wrote? It, oh, it's hilarious. I wish i kept the copy. The reason why he wrote the resignation
1: letter is because I was scared of resigning because I didn't have a job to go to. Um... I also was working in an incredibly toxic environment and the resignation letter basically said, I'm not working my notes. I am literally, I'm not going to fulfill my contract and I'll stay here anymore. So he wrote it because I was just too scared. He recognized that, you know, I felt trapped in mm. that career Um I wish I kept a copy, but it was very much. I'm not staying here.
0: The idea, though, to have a husband that he is caring for you and taking care of you in that way—he was protecting you and your and your, um, uh, you know, emotional state. Like I think that's one of the most romantic things I've ever heard. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, I, um, I should correct the story.
1: There, we weren't married at the time. This was this was a couple of years before we were married. We were living in sin. Um, <laughs> I think people get quite shocked sometimes that I did that because I talk now, you know, about my mistakes and things I do differently. Um, but, yeah, we weren't, we weren't actually married at the time. I didn't have a job to go to, and I was actually a stay-at-home girlfriend for an entire year.
0: What? A stay-at-home girlfriend? That's very yeah. popular on TikTok, you know. Have you, have you ever seen I that? Know. <laughs> I know. I, I'm not on TikTok, but I have heard about it. I've, I've heard about these stay-at-home
1: girlfriend. um it was a great trial run for us actually because he really dim- demonstrated to me that he was he loved me enough to provide for me so you know yeah so you
0: You totally change course. You go from being the city girl, working girl, to moving to the country, living there, kind of being a homemaker. Was it difficult for you going from the city to living, uh, you know, fully immersed in this quieter lifestyle eventually then as a wife and a mother? Or was it difficult to make that transition for a little bit? It it definitely wasn't difficult in the sense that it's it's what I always wanted. But
1: my mindset needed to catch up with the physical. So I was very much going through the motions at the time. Oh, great, I'm here. I'm living my life, the life I always wanted. And I realized that my self esteem had been really quite destroyed in the process. And I didn't know who I was. It's almost like I had pretended to be someone else for so long, I forgot who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a real, like you touched on earlier, like a real crisis of confidence at about 26 years old. I had my husband. I had my home in the country, I had my baby. Amazing. But I had been conditioned for so long to be someone else. And no one was going, Hey, it's okay now to embrace this. I'm really happy to run my household like I used to run my career. Because I'm not just sat at home doing nothing. I'm, you know, working the home and operating it.
0: So it's been an interesting ride. Michelle. Well, all of this, this dawns on you that there's no representation of media, of homemakers and stay at home moms in a positive way. And I think I want to write about it and speak out about it. So you do this in 2020. The BBC comes after you for talking about, I really believe in traditional values and being a wife and a stay at home mom, what did they say? What did you say that was so controversial that the state media had to get involved? <laughs> it's quite hilarious, actually.
1: I think I that think foremost they might have met their match because they turned up and I think they were expecting me to be some kind of Deptford wife who could be pushed around and who didn't know what she was doing. And I've worked with some really brutal people in my time in the media. And I also knew... I worked in marketing, so I know how to spin a story and, and get attention. Um, and I noted it all the time with sensational headlines. I wrote this um, article. I submitted to my husband like in 1959, and it, it was to get attention, basically, from because I, I want them to go, oh, my goodness, what's this? And one read it and go, oh, I see where she's coming from. But they didn't. They just saw that and thought I was the worst thing ever, public enemy number one, a white supremacist Nazi, and it just went nuts. Wait,
0: so the being a stay-at-home wife and mom got uh, pigeonholed and it escalated to them calling you a a skinhead Nazi? A a white
1: supremacist Nazi. It's the worst thing you could be. It's Honestly, being a housewife is right up there with Hitler these days.
0: This is what the BBC said? Yes, pretty much, pretty much,
1: and you see it all the time. Like I get attacked, you know, on social media by, funny enough, young women who don't have husbands or children, who seem to think that I'm telling women to stay home, that women are only good for having babies, um, and that I, I don't know where the racism comes from. I do think there are some, <laughs> slightly random people out there who hijack the movement. Um, and say that women, you know,
0: think very fundamental, Christian. Why are these people so threatened by the idea of a stay-at-home wife and mom that they have to then slander you by calling you a Nazi and a white supremacist? I don't understand. That's blowing my mind. I know it blows my mind, too. I, I honestly have no idea. I think,
1: I, I think they're threatened because we live in an age where people like things very black and white so it's like you know you have when we love labels um you know you're gonna you're gonna leave school you're gonna do this you're going to and you're never ever to rely on a man ever in your entire life even when you marry him and have babies not ever rely on man because he man bad you know woman good man bad of course yeah Never do know if he, yeah, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Oh, yeah, That's what I grew up with, the message. Men are just terrible and disgusting. Yeah, they, the, they f- say
0: they say the future is female. Like, forget the men. We don't need them. We're independent women. I know. I've got a son.
1: It's interesting to try and explain that to him. But I've got no idea why Housewives are threatening.
0: I love on the Darling Academy, which is, it's like, a, there's a blog and all kinds of stuff that you have on your website, and you have been very open about what you feel like have been past mistakes that you've made to help other young women kind of learn from those. And, you know, sometimes I think girls think, well, okay, if I were to go and start living in this more traditional way or say, oh, my greatest aspiration is to be a stay-at-home mom, for example, that they would be frauds. Like, well, that's not, I can't do that because that's not how I've been living my life for so long. How can a woman forgive herself from her past mistakes and make changes if she wants to, without feeling guilty. Because you, because you can, you can do that. It's only
1: the world that tells you that you should be ashamed of your past mistakes. Your past mistakes help you grow, and they shape your character. And I've I've done some terrible things. I've had um, really inappropriate relationships. I've taken recreational drugs. I binge, you know, like binge drinking. All that kind of stuff, and look at me now, you know. Like you can, you can change. You can, you can improve. This is the whole thing. We live in a culture of self improvement. It's just another way to self improve, right? Mm. You know, like you can. And and uh, there's nothing worse than someone who sits there and he's very pious and tells other people that they're doing life wrong. Who are we? No one's perfect whatsoever. You know, you can change your life tomorrow if you want to. The only person that's living your life is you. And this is what's frustrating about these women as well that attack me and troll me. I'm not telling you what to do. If you don't want to be a wife and a mom, that's fine. But I feel like you're tired to tell me not to do it. And that's not right. And I'm going to stand up for that.
0: There's a lot of trad wives now in America embracing the I only wear dresses trend. What do you think about that? Well, I tried that myself, actually, which is really interesting.
1: I, I wrote an article on it because I felt like, During the 90s, which is when I grew up, femininity was femininity. Gosh, these words are so lengthy. This is a whole different discussion itself. But feminine, dressing femininely and um, girly, I want to say, a little less Britney Spears, a bit more kind of like Doris Day, just really wasn't cool. And yeah, actually, that's what I personally find attractive. And I think a lot of the trad wives, and I have been guilty of using that label myself, but actually, it's becoming a bit toxic. So, I'd like to move away just a little bit and I tried it I but not for anybody else not for an acceptance, not to appear like a child wife not because my husband told me to um, just because it made me feel good um and I think that's the thing the whole child wife is becoming a little bit religious in that sense it's like it really is you're not modest you're not modest so that doesn't make you a good housewife or you know you wear trousers I'm wearing jeans today You know, I I tried it for a period of not wearing jeans, but actually I thought, they're practical. They're practical for my life. I'm going to wear jeans. Tomorrow, if the sun's out, I'm going to wear a dress. Um,
0: But yeah, the child wife is getting a little bit silly. I stayed overnight with a friend recently, and I took out my skincare products, and she sees Nimi stuff, and she was like, oh my gosh, you really do use Nemi!" And I was so offended. Dude, I have been in broadcasting and media for 11 years, and I have never, ever in my career endorsed a product that... I did not like or use. I promise you that. I actually anger a lot of salespeople because I say no a lot. I never want to be that person that you feel is just shilling products for a quick buck. So when I recommend something, you can trust that I truly use and love it. And that is the case with Mimi Skincare. I was so impressed when they sent me some products to try that I basically begged them to let me talk about them on the spillover just so more people could hear me sing their praises between the vibe vitamin C cleanser and the retinol-infused hydrating moisturizer, and their commitment to conserving femininity, faith, freedom, and family, it is one of my favorite brands to recommend. Their price point is incredible, too. You can get an entire three-step skincare routine for under $100. Try Nimi today at nimiskincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off. That's n-i-m-i-skincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off, or just check out the link in the show notes. What is the polite way for a pregnant woman or a new mother to respond when someone asks, so when are you planning on getting back to work? Oh, yeah, I still get that. My son's
1: 10. And they that ask is. you when
0: you're going back to work? At, and he's yeah. 10?
1: <laughs> oh, actually, I think most of my circle... Know what I do now, so I think they kind of it would be a bit dangerous. And then start asking me, but yeah, they started asking very, very soon. And I think that question is quite nuanced in the sense, you know, in this day and age, it's very hard, particularly in Britain, for a family to survive on just one income. So I think it's a cultural norm now to, for women to return to work because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. Yeah. So I think a polite way, if you, if your finances are such that you can stay home, then the way I would approach it is I would say, uh, you know, Mike and I have discussed it and for the next few years, we'd like to say, for me to stay home whilst the children are small. And that's it. Shut up. You don't have to justify any further. Or you could just say, oh, I don't know. We're fine as we are for now. That's the polite way. You don't. You don't have to justify yourself. I think that's the politest thing is to one short statement and leave it at that. And then if someone comes back at you and says, oh, aren't you bored? Then you could really, you know. then
0: I could go out for a ringer, as far as I'm <laughs> I love you. There's a lot of women that um, might feel trapped like you did in their corporate job and are wanting to go home and they're married and maybe their husband also wants them to stay home. But they're worried, how can my family afford this? How can we afford to live off of one income? What is your advice for couples to achieve this dream if they feel like they are facing a financial roadblock in getting there?
1: Yeah, if that's really hard, I, I don't think you could give one definitive answer to that. The the thing that's the most important is to get out of debt. I don't think anyone um, would feel quite comfortable and have a comfortable life. You could just in terms of anxiety, like financial anxiety, if you're dealing with debt as well as obviously trying to live on one income. So, I mean, there's loads of programs out there. I know Dave Ramsey is a very popular in America. Yeah, he is. So, yeah. Getting out of debt is the most important thing. And then, I mean, I don't want to use the word sacrifice, but there are things that, you know, we could afford if I went back to work. And we have decided that our priorities are such that it's more valuable to us for me to stay home than the value of extra cash. Mm -hmm. So you need to search your heart in that way as well. You know, sit down, crunch the numbers, can do it. You might have to do without something, but actually
0: what you get in return is worth more than money
1: in some some scenarios.
0: Let's talk about navigating politics at a dinner party, okay? Like where you may not personally know anyone very well. This happens all the time to Americans. People at the table assume that you think one way um, and maybe the reality is you disagree with everyone at the table, but you don't know these people very well. Is it polite to challenge another guest on what they're saying about politics at a dinner party where you don't know anyone? Oh, it depends on how much alcohol you've consumed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, um, it's not a cultural norm here in England whatsoever. Politics is very much kept um, behind closed doors, I think. You might discuss with your husband or your very close friend, perhaps, but even then it's a little bit contentious. So it's just not something that we do whatsoever. You don't ask someone how much they earn and you don't ask them how they vote. Well, whatsoever. do you ask them how
0: they feel about Harry and Meghan?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you trust them and you wait for them to go first and then if you have a
0: differing opinion, do polite you to keep your mouth <laughs> shut. Okay, fabulous. So Americans are talking politics and what political party you are and then in England you're like, Harry and Meghan, what are they going to say? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's funny actually, the
1: majority of us actually do feel the same way, unless you've got a connection to America, in which case, tread very carefully. Yeah, I think that I don't think an English person would necessarily invite a conversation at a dinner party about politics, necessarily, unless you're there in a setting whereby you've been invited because you're going to accept politics. And with regards to etiquette, it depends on how confident you are, I think, because. When it comes to policies, you're always going to offend somebody. So it depends on how diplomatic you are. Yeah. As, and so whether you can handle it at the end of the day. I mean, I don't think personally that, you know, it's good etiquette discuss politics at the dinner table, but if it comes up, it's for every person to decide for
0: themselves, how far they want to take it, but imagine it fit very well sometimes. There's a huge trend here uh, in the states of women, where leggings everywhere for every occasion. Um, Candace Owens, I don't know if you know who she is. She's like a big political commentator. Okay. So she, Candace Owens recently called out women who wear leggings every single day and said uh, that you at least should put on jeans, even if it's to take your kid to the park, that leggings are unacceptable and that we've gotten too lazy as women with our wardrobes. Do you also think that women should dress up to run errands?
1: Oh, I think it would be nice if they did. I'm going to give a very um, diplomatic answer here. Personally, do I like to gaze upon someone wearing leggings? No, I don't. I don't think it's attractive. I also don't feel attractive in them, so that shaped my view of it. Um, But should women? I mean, are we going to start dishing out rules now? You know, that's the thing. This is the problem. Um, I think they should I think self-esteem wise I mean unless she's a real gym bunny she thinks that showing it all off is like the best way to show off her body I don't know to each her own but I do think that as a society we need to stop being lazy I agree with Candice there we do need to stop being lazy and also I've noticed I don't know if you better when I dress up better I get treated better and you have a, a better life because of it because you're you're respected a bit more. It's just the way human nature is. I mean, if you're going to go into a shop looking like you've been dragged through a hedge, then people aren't going to treat you very nicely. You're not going to get great service. Same with the restaurant, you know, like if you look terrible, people do judge. That's it's just human nature. We judge. If you make an effort, you feel better about yourself. People will respond to you better. So, psychologically, yes, I would say, dress up. Spicy,
0: I Balls-wise, like it.
1: Yeah, rules-wise, I'd be nervous about doing that. I I get enough keep saying what I do already. I don't want to get into the leggings.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. What are some effective ways to teach children about etiquette?
1: Oh, uh, model it. Absolutely model it. You know, we learn from our parents. I learned from my parents. My son has learned from me and have a really open narrative. So, um. um for example, my son would come home from school and say something that happened. Girls apparently are starting very mean at the age of ten. Um, oh, uh, his girlfriend jumped in about two days ago.
0: Oh my gosh, girlfriend.
1: at ten But you know, just silly little a silly little playground yeah. thing. And I was like, well, what did she say to you? She said I was really horrible, and she's been telling other girls to not go out with me and say mean things. And we discussed how she might be feeling and how that might be, you know, uh, influencing her behavior and what she's pressed. And when I say to him, what can you do to respond? How, you know, do you want to be mean to her back? Or perhaps maybe you should just let her get over her feelings and next week to start talking to her kindly, you know, like it's an open narrative. I think you can't give kids a rule book because they won't read it. But I think we learn mostly through seeing and modeling and open discussion and communication. That's the best way. Keep talking to your kid. Why do you feel this way? What can you do better? What did they say to you? How did it make you feel? Would you ever do that to them? How can you respond kindly?
0: So, and then as far as like good manners and things like that, um, besides modeling themselves, like are you were you doing things with your son when he was younger? Like, okay, this is when you use this fork and this knife is for this and stuff. Like, do you do that? We have one knife and one fork, like most
1: people. (laughs) I don't play an Edwardian dinner table. Like, (laughs) it ended up on the floor as well when he was about four years old. Okay, we just. Yeah, so I don't think, especially at ten years old, I'm going to take him to anywhere that you know needs snail forks and things like that. But you know, they were, you know, sit up straight. The reason we do that is because it helps our to- the food go into our tummies better. We're not going to get a tummy ache, you know. Like, don't just bark instructions. Explain all the time. That's what I found really, really helpful is not just do this. It's this is why we do this. You yeah. know, use your neck. Na- you're, you know, you're going to make a mess of your shirt and then you won't be able to wear it again or it will be uncomfortable because it's soggy and, you know, mommy's going to have to wash it again. And, you know, explain rather than just bark, bark
0: instruction at them. Do you have any suggestions for how someone can start a traditional English library in their home? Like what classics should absolutely be included? Oh, gosh. Okay. Oh, All of the
1: classics are the really cliche ones, but they're beautiful for a reason. So, Dickens, Austin, but I feel like you guys know that already. You know, it's all of the period drama stuff. Like, we lap that up as much as you guys do. Because I think it harks back to an age of politeness that we would really like to see a return to.
0: Okay, this is kind of a weird question, but I'm just trying to think of kind of difficult scenarios when it comes to etiquette. So what are ladylike ways to deal with a cold or allergies? Oh, okay. Well, again, this thing, I mean, no, handkerchief.
1: People really freak out about the idea of these days, but actually in the age of- sustainability they're much better than tissue because you can wash them you're only using them for yourself back to that jane austen thing do you imagine being handed a handkerchief you know you've got a, a tear falling something in a man hands you his handkerchief you how much more romantic is that than here's a cleaner true yeah and i i would say lovely vintage handkerchiefs or even new ones are just a bit a bit nicer to use and also you your everyday kind of way of dealing with that I mean I'll, I'll admit I use tissues well we have boxes of tissues around the house and um, I just think in public it's nicer to use something that's a little bit more kind
0: of dainty and but then at the same time I would excuse myself if I could so Okay, excusing yourself or having a handkerchief. And you know what I just found out is that years ago, to get a man's attention, women would drop a handkerchief so that men would see it and be like, oh, here's your handkerchief. And that was her way of getting him to talk to her if she was interested. What a floozy. I think it's really easy for people to imagine ways to be elegant in the evening time. But what about in the morning, especially if you have overnight guests? Like, how do you act oh, in the morning? Yeah. Like, is it okay to have overnight guests and show up and start making them breakfast in th- your pajamas, for example? I think it is. I think it depends on
1: what your pajamas are, though. If you were sleeping in, like, a really ratty old t-shirt and a pair of, like, what do you call pants underwear? Pants Pajama for Pajama pants.
0: Pajama pants. Okay, no, lower than that. Knickers? Boxers? Knickers and boxers like. would, be, would be, like, underwear to us underwear yeah exactly if we're thinking
1: of making the breakfast in that then no <laughs> um, but a lovely pair of pajamas that's uh, perhaps oh gonna pull out that loaded word modest in a sense because yeah healing or open i guess some of them might appreciate the underwear i don't know
0: probably um, like put a bra yeah. on under your yes, silk absolutely. pajama set
1: yes or a, a you know a camisole that holds you in or something like that or a lovely um Dressing gown, kind of a robe. But then also you could always get dressed. <laughs> There's always that dressed. option. <laughs> That's an option. You know, like just get up, get dressed. I tell you what, you could even wear leggings if you wanted, because you're in your house. and um, You're in your house. It, it's all about how presentable what you're wearing is. I think. Because some people can feel quite uncomfortable. I've I've felt quite uncomfortable staying at other people's houses because you feel a little bit of an inconvenience. mm mm-hmm you know like particularly in England our house is not particularly large so you might be staying on like a sofa bed or um, you know in a small spare room where there's no kind of like desk suite or you know extra bathroom to use so you're all kind of in each other's space in very close quarters so I think just um, being very mindful of that and providing if you're having guests providing whatever you can to make them feel comfortable so even providing them a time to stop for bathroom.
0: If a woman is really interested in going to college, going to university, getting an education, but her ultimate goal is to be a homemaker one day, what are some major areas of study or focus that would be a good fit for her?
1: There are there are certain things that would be useful to transfer her skills to her home. So you could you could learn things like, you know, hospitality management or cooking, or even childcare. But honestly, if there's a particular area of study that you do want to, to go into, say, I don't know, marketing, which is what I did, I can still transfer those skills into home. Um, I would just back it up with a few domestic skills, so extracurricular um, courses and things like that, to help bolster what you're going to jump into eventually. But yeah, things like childcare, teaching, cooking, home management, that all great areas to look to if that's what you know you really want to do. I would also be mindful that you might need to jump into them again at some point, maybe because you have to, maybe because you want. So I think this is the thing, everyone's saying, must get an education, must get an education for the what-ifs. And I kind of agree in that sense because it's always clever do that but it's not a must you've got to just be really confident i think in being able to turn your hands to anything so um if you just want to be a mummy, you don't want to go to college do that if you've got the conviction do it follow it live your life and your path i wish i
0: had done it myself like to check from time to time and see what the most popular episodes of The Spillover are. In our back end of our analytics, it'll, like, list out our top five most listened to episodes. And I heard that the guest of our second most listened to episode of The Spillover ever just got asked to speak at Turning Point USA's Young Women's Leadership Conference. Now, which guest do you think that is, if you had to guess? I am freaking out, and I heard that she's going to be doing a QA. There are just so many surprises to be experienced at YWLS this year. Don't miss out on the biggest conference for conservative women in the country. This June 9th through 11th in Dallas, Texas at the Gaylord Hotel, the biggest female speakers in the conservative movement will be encouraging you, inspiring you, and motivating you on how we can take back this country. The theme is 70s, so plan your outfits accordingly. All frequently asked questions can be answered at tpusa.com slash YWLS where you can also get your tickets. Go to tpusa.com slash Y-W-L-S and use code poplitics for a discount. I'll see you in a few weeks. I have to tell you something. I was so sad when you decided to deactivate your Instagram for the Darling Academy because you had the most gorgeous Instagram. It was like a magical place. And I was like, of course, she decided to get rid of this before this interview. But uh, you had a really big decision to make and and you made that decision to deactivate the Darling Academy Instagram with a lot of thought. Talk about uh, that with us. Yeah, I realized that um, the
1: trolling was horrific, first and foremost. I think any woman today sticking her head above a parapet and saying, I don't want to follow the cultural norms of the day is going to attract a lot of negative attention. Um, So I also realized I was on there because it was just what people do. I went to work because that's what people do. You know, like, I, I am sad too. I, I used to look at myself and go, oh, isn't this really pretty? Look at all my highlights. Like, look at this highlight reel. Of- oh, it's funny, I didn't take a picture of myself cleaning the toilet. <laughs> oh, funny that. You know, like, oh, look, there's no picture of me when I've got the flu. Weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, I realized just how much it's kind of as, as positive and lovely as it was and people got really nice things out of it. I think social media can be a little bit dangerous to the fact that we start comparing our lives to other people. And I had women say to me, "I can't be a traditional housewife or a housewife. I don't wear dresses all the time, or I don't have long blonde hair, or I don't like vintage, or I don't like me. Um, I've only got, you know, I haven't got any children, or things like that." I think it was becoming a tool whereby people were comparing mm. themselves to my life and what I was showing them, um, which is why I deactivated it. Which, in marketing terms, and things like that, it's
0: a stupid move. <laughs> you mean also, why? Because it's a good way to promote your business? It's really good. It's really, it's a fantastic tool in that sense. But
1: as much as it would promote it it
0: would also attract a lot of weirdos. There are weirdos. How I mean, has, how has being, being off of Instagram impacted your business? Like, do you feel like you're doing okay without it? Because some people are desperate to get off of that app, but they're too scared because they're like, would I lose a lot of business? Yeah well, actually I
1: See this is the thing. So people are quite confused with what I say. I'm a housewife first and foremost. I've written two books which are self published, which are available on Amazon, ladies like us, and English Etiquette. And yeah, it'd be silly of me to say you know, like, I want you to go and buy this. It helps us, you know, our family finance. Everyone has the luxury of being able to do that. But I don't want people also to find that, those books unless they're stated to find it. So I had a really big influencer, a massive YouTuber buy my book because she saw another YouTuber buying it. And her lifestyle and my lifestyle are wildly different. And I thought she is going to influence her million followers to buy this book. And then they're going to get it. And they're going to be like, what on earth is this? Crazy Christian woman talking about, oh my goodness! And then they're going to go on Amazon and write four reviews. Like, if that's the payoff, I don't want your money. And what if, ended up happening? You
0: know,
1: I I sold them. It was fabulous, and thankfully the world didn't implode. But it was a wake up call to me. I thought actually, my message is for people that are looking for it. Mm. And you don't need to use every tool, you know, like just because, I mean, I haven't even looked at setting up a TikTok account because maybe I don't need it. Maybe you don't need Instagram. Businesses survived before it, you know, like, and they will survive afterwards. I've been blogging for probably well over 10 years now and it's still, I'm still able to blog before Instagram became a thing. So yeah, as much as the pretty pictures are gone. Not that much of a difference made that
0: much of a difference to be honest. What is your wish for young women growing up today? Oh, wow.
1: My wish for young women is that the promise will actually be fulfilled that they be whatever they want to be, even if that being a housewife and a mum. Because it, that was a promise that was given to me. And I don't know, are you familiar with George Orwell? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's a very animal farm thing. I I realized it, you know, all animals are equal, except some are more equal than others. Mm. And that's what I kind of am starting to feel about feminism and women's identity politics is you are only truly fulfilling the the work that's gone before you as a woman, if you are a career woman. And fully focused on that. You cannot be fully focused on your family. That's not that's not cool these days.
0: Yeah, they don't so yeah, they, that's it's not acceptable to them. No,
1: not acceptable, which is I mean, I thought feminism meant choice.
0: Prepare yourself for what I'm about to tell you. Non-organic cotton in regular tampons may contain trace amounts of the pesticide glyphosate, which is an herbicide used to kill weeds and potentially carcinogenic. If you're avoiding glyphosate in your foods by shopping organic and non-GMO, then you should be buying organic tampons as well. Tampons are another thing that you're putting into your body and your magic conch is 100 times more absorbent than your mouth. If you want to switch out your feminine products for a cleaner option, choose Garnu. Why? Because their tampons are 100% organic, made without titanium dioxide, chlorine, fragrances, or dyes. They use a BPA-free plastic applicator and a huge bonus, they're conservative-owned. Did you know that most tampon brands fund Planned Parenthood or support abortion? Garnu is one of the only tampon brands that doesn't. Our cycles as women are designed for life and garner new values life. Your tampons will be set up on a schedule and mailed to your door just in time for your strawberry week every month. You can buy one time or via a subscription. They also have menstrual cups and organic pads are coming soon. Go to Garnu.com slash spillover with code spillover to receive 15% off your first month of organic tampons. That's G-A-R-N-U-U.com slash spillover with code spillover. The code can be used for one time per purchases as well, not just subscriptions. You have to buy tampons anyway. So support conservative small businesses that are better for your body and the country. Shop Garnu with the link in the show notes. That's what they tell us. That's what they, Bet, tell, us they Elena. tell us Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking me really well, like, you know, I mean feminism again is so loaded. I fully believe in women's right to education and women's right to do you know what she wants is a career and and for her life look how she wants it to look but it it's lies it's lies unfortunately feminism now is about uh women's superiority it's about elevation of women and it's about working to the bone and you cannot have it all you cannot have it all mm-hmm. at the same time you can have a career and you can have a family but it's really hard to mix the two
0: yep no that's, one talks about that. That's the important truth, I think, that uh, a lot of people do avoid. Even the pro-life conservative Christians avoid that conversation of, well, you know, telling women that. Like, you can have it all. It's just that it might need to be at different times in your life. You might need to separate them yeah. for a little bit. You know what I mean? Wait till the kids go out yeah. of the house, then pursue doing your, your dream, dream job or, or do that for, you know, you're going to have to make sacrifices and choices.
1: Exactly. And we don't talk about facilitating that, you know, yeah. like.
0: Natural biological fertility. Well, let me tell you what's really scary. I don't know uh, if you've noticed this, but here's a huge problem. With inventions like IVF and all of these different things, young girls, I'm finding, they are not considering that despite all of that, we still have biological clocks. So the problem is they're putting off things like having a family because they think, well, whenever I want, because of these new inventions, I'll be able to have children. That is not necessarily true. You still may not be able to have children if you wait too long, even with things like IVF. You know what I mean? So a lot of girls are not realizing that until they are 40-ish. And then they're like, oh my gosh, what do you mean I can't get pregnant now? I thought I could just use all these different tools. Yeah, I think the real problem is is that we're actually not talking to young girls about fertility and getting
1: pregnant and having babies. All we're pushing is birth control and putting it off and avoiding having babies whatsoever
0: have you been able to find a lot of other women your age um around where you live that have the same values and things like you or do you feel like that is difficult yeah it's really difficult um even church actually i've, I've met you through church
1: but a lot of them are still working or returning to work mostly because they have to necessarily not because they want to um but no, it's a very lonely existence. And I think this is another reason why it put women off because, I mean, this is the good thing about the darling and cassie during lockdown, especially people were at home and going, oh my goodness, I love being at home. This is amazing. I was scared of it. I thought I'd be bored. And even my best friend yesterday, who exactly the same age as me, married the children, she has been a, ardent career girl her whole life she even admitted to me yesterday we'd moved out, the, out to the country and I want to stay home and I was like yay <laughs> not because I you know I want her to do that it's just the fact that she finally realized kind of just how wonderful it can be but it's really hard to meet friends it's really hard to meet friends I find mine friends are mostly older than me because I don't know maybe but
0: <laughs> I what? hang around with a lot of older what is your advice for women that um, are currently stay-at-home mothers and they are battling with loneliness? This is where social media can be really good. I mean, I know it
1: gets a lot of uh, a bad reputation in terms of dividing people, especially politically. Um, but you can, you can find friends via social media and it can fill those times. I mean, I. Like, I've had conversations with women who said that they used to go on in the nighttime when they were like, you know, feeding their babies and things. Um, and you can get that kind of ten minutes to catch up with someone, send them a message, and they'll send you one back. That's what's brilliant. It's really hard to give too much encouragement because you know, I want to give encouragement, but it it's hard to give a solution because when women aren't at home anymore, the communities are dead in the day,
0: mm-hmm. and it can
1: feel a bit barren. So, but the more and more people that step into that role and are around and are confident enough to say, "Hey, do you do you stay home too?" You know, it's it's conversation that's required. I've asked random women in the supermarket. The coffee date. Eh? Yeah.
0: Like I'm picking up friends in the supermarket, but it works Well, I know if we live close that we would be friends. I know that we have so much in common. I wish that we did. I w- would love nothing more than to to be able to hang out with you in the English countryside. Like, that would be a, such a dream to me. Where can people find your books, Ladies Like Us and English Etiquette, the motivation behind the manners? And what what all do you cover in these books? Give us like a summary of the topics. Okay, so both books, Ladies Like Us and English Etiquette, are available on Amazon and only in paperback
1: format because, you know, trees, I like to, you know,
0: <laughs> I don't like Kindle, but it's too, it, it's not personal. That, no, I like I, a book in your hand. I like a book in your hand too. I am right with you. I don't even own a Kindle. Oh, fabulous. We can do that. Yeah. And um, so, Ladies Like Us, I call it My Rise
1: to Grace. So it charts my, you know, my time in kind of working as a career girl and realizing it really was not good for me. And then also, I mean, we say falls from grace all the time, but actually I feel like I did it in reverse. Yeah. So it's the things I learned about myself, about self-esteem. Um, I'm a Christian as well, so there is a little bit of faith-based stuff in there, but it, I've written it for other people as well who who don't have a faith. It, it's not too evangelical, I hope. Um. So, and it's about stepping into your kind of feminine energy and, um, you know, embracing that in a, especially in a time where culture tells you it's wrong to do that. And then English etiquette is about etiquette, but from a very heart centered, other people perspective. So it's not about which fork to use. Um, and, you know, when to stand up if someone enters a room. It's more about making other people comfortable in your presence, which I think is what we should all be concentrating on, is a kindness with other people. Um, and I also blog about topics surrounding those two subjects and also being the traditional housewife Elizabeth, at my website, which is thedarlingacademy.com. And,
0: unfortunately, you can't follow me on Instagram anymore, and that feels nice to say that. <laughs> the Darling Academy website is lovely. It is so beautiful. I really encourage you to go check that out because, um, her articles are so inspiring and it's just got a lovely aesthetic and she has recipes and how to's and you cover so many deep topics. I'm like, how do I show etiquette in this scenario In this scenario and just, it's re- it's really well done website. So, um, everyone should check that out. Get her books. Elena, thank you so much. Despite the time difference for coming on the spillover. That is absolutely fine. And come over to England and have a cup of tea. She's like a conservative Mary Poppins or something, isn't she? Adore her. Next month, we're going to go back to our normal grab bag of interviews where every episode is random. But there has been a slight change. The first 2 weeks of June I am basically sticking with this theme of, you know, what I did for Maze for the moms just because of who I was able to have on the show. It was kind of a happy accident. I was going to just release these interviews randomly later, but then we realized behind the scenes that both of them needed to come out right away. The first will come out next week and it is going to be the ultimate homeschooling episode. Every single stereotype or assumption that you have about homeschooling, reasons you think you can't do it will be debunked, even single moms or two parent working households my guest is huge in the homeschooling space and i was going to release it in august for back to school because that made sense to me because i'm not a homeschooling parent and then she told me she's like no alex this has to come out sooner rather than later because if parents are going to pull their kids out of school next year and start homeschooling that planning basically has to happen now so that is coming out next week then the week after that i have the coolest guest ever that happens to align perfectly with why to be because she helped write all the feminist propaganda for fashion magazines in the 60s and 70s before deciding, you know what? I cannot keep lying to women anymore. That is going to be an incredible interview. And with this 70s theme of why to be less this year, it was just really too perfect to not release it the second week of June. So those you have to look forward to. And then we're going to go back to having like random guests. And yes, I know, true crime, all that stuff. Do not worry. It's all in the chamber this summer. Special needs parenting and adoption, pro-life atheist. Yes, that's a real thing. I didn't know that either. Um, what you should actually be eating while pregnant and more. All of the random topics that you know and love. It's going to be packed the next couple of months and we're just getting started. Every week, make sure that you leave a five-star review. Charlie Kirk reads your reviews. So if you love The Spillover, say something nice because he reads it. Every week, we're back with a brand new episode. They release Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Pacific or midnight Eastern time, anywhere you get your podcast. If you like to watch the show, you can do that by subscribing to Poplitics on your YouTube. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you. Mean it. Bye.